The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning again. Please open your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 4. I'm not really sure what you're going to get today. Um, I got the opportunity to spend time with our pastors and most of our elders um, over the past couple days at an elder training, at a leadership training over in Grand Island. And I came back uh, anxious and excited, so excited, in fact, that last night I was up until um, about 10 minutes past 11. And if you know anything about me, that is almost three hours past my bedtime. Um, the vast majority, like, I kick people out of my house at about 8.45, um, just so you know, on a Thursday night small group, when I feel like it's starting to get long, I just say, Alexa, play closing time. And closing time comes on, and then everyone just leaves, and that's, uh, that's just the way I like it, because I'm, I'm ready for bed at about 8.30. Um, so last night I was up until 11, um, just thinking about our time together uh, this weekend with our church leaders, and feeling a lot of different emotions about this this text today um, from 1 Timothy chapter 4. I had someone tell me before, before our time that they were going to pray today because they felt like this was, an important, this was an important message for our church, which only added to my thoughts and my tension, so I'm, I'm excited about it. Um, if you have any questions about our message today, I would really encourage you to ask them. One of the ways that you can do that is you can send a text to the number that's on the screen. And on Tuesdays at 11.15, we go on to our church Facebook page and we respond to those questions. We usually go for, we usually talk for about 45 minutes. Um, And then that video gets posted later that day on our church website. So you don't have to have Facebook in order to access that. And then if you have a smartphone or a tablet and you've downloaded our app, It'll be on there usually within a day or so as well. So there are lots of ways to engage with that Q&A. So I would really encourage you to do that. About 10 days ago, my son John came into my office and told me about something that they were discussing in one of his classes at Summit Christian College. He was telling me, um, he reminded me that there's, there's these two guys by the name of Rhett and Link. Now, if you are above the age of 30 years old, you probably have no idea who Rhett and Link are. Becky just gave me, uh, she just affirmed the fact that she has no idea what I'm talking about. If you're above the age of 30, you probably have no idea uh, who Rhett and Link are. Uh, They're pretty popular among uh, teens and younger adults. They have a podcast um, called Ear Biscuits, and their YouTube channel has almost 5 million followers. And early on in their, kind of in their career, they were very outspoken about their Christian faith. And in fact, I had used some of Rhett and Link's videos when I was in student ministry with my, with my kids, um, with our student ministry kids. And recently, over the last four to six weeks or so, Rhett and Link have used their platform, they've used their podcast, they've used their, their YouTube channel and they've, they've used these things to, to talk about why they are no longer Christians. So I want you to put yourself in the shoes of someone for a moment who, 
who's, who know who Rhett and Link are, and, and, and they've had an influence on, on society from a younger standpoint, and they're coming out and they're saying, we're not Christians, and, and these are the reasons why. But maybe Rhett and Link, maybe you don't know who Rhett and Link are, but surely you know who Aaron Rodgers is. Aaron Rodgers, the quarterback for the Green Bay Packers. Um, I'm not really sure why this happened, but just a few weeks ago, there was an article from ESPN uh, from 2017 that just, that just started making the rounds again on social media. And in this, in this article, he talks, one of the things he talks about is why, why he is no longer a Christian. And this is really interesting because here's a guy with, with, a, with a strong history and a strong background in Christianity um, talking about why he is no longer a Christian. And, and John's question to me in my office that day was, was, what do we do? Like this was the conversation in the education class. When, someone who is, when someone's popular and has a tremendous amount of influence and they come out as, as a non-Christian and they explain away their faith... Kind of how do we respond? How do we teach? How do we talk about these things? Um, what's, our, what's our response? So as we were having this discussion, I, um, I opened my Bible and I read part of today's text to him. This is 1 Timothy 4, uh, verses 1 and 2. Now the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They will follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are seared. So I read that text to him, and then I just stopped, and I said, John, one of the things, one of the things that you need to know as someone who wants to go into ministry, one of the things that you need to know as a Christian is that this spiritual battle that we are in is absolutely real. We are in the midst of a spiritual battle. I said, right now, John, my, my office, the fact that we're having this conversation right now, this, this office, this is, this is ground zero. This is, this is World War III taking place spiritually right now in my office in this conversation. And then I said, and every Sunday morning in that auditorium, and I pointed this way because our office is over there, I said, in that auditorium, every Sunday morning, it is... It's World War III in that room. He said, John, you have an enemy that is prowling around like a lion looking for whomever he may devour. This is, this is real. And what was true in there is true in here. So what do we do? What can we do? told them, well, we can, we can listen to their concerns. We can listen to the things that they say. We can, we, can, we can listen to their questions. We can try and understand, and we can try and engage them in relationship, and we can try and engage them in conversation. So last week, while Ann and I were away, had some airplane time, had some treadmill time, 
downloaded Retin links, two podcasts, Rhett's Spiritual Deconstruction, Link's Spiritual Deconstruction. They were about two hours each. And I just hit play, and I just listened to the questions, to the conversations that people are having that would lead them, honestly, and and this might be a little difficult concept today, so I'm going to try and talk about this in a way that you can understand it. Trying to understand their questions in a way that is proving Scripture true. Do you understand what I'm saying when I say that? See, when people walk away from their faith, they are demonstrating the truth of Scripture. Because what this text is telling us is that in the end times, some people will turn away from the true faith. So, when people turn away from the true faith, they are proving, they're proving the Bible true. I want you, I want you to know that. Which is why I defaulted to that text. Because he's like, what do we do? Is this a surprise? And I think sometimes as, as Christians, we get in this space when someone walks away from Christianity, like we're all surprised about it. And I guess according to the Bible, I don't know why we would be surprised. Does it make sense? Because it's telling us that that's what's going to happen. So I'm listening to their podcasts and... They're wrestling with things like, is Christianity true? How can I know Christianity is true? Why would God send billions of people who've never heard of him or from him to an eternity of hell? Why would God tell his people in the Old Testament to basically commit genocide when they entered into the promised land? Why would, why would a loving God do that? See, these are the questions that Rhett and Link and Aaron Rodgers, and my guess is you in this room have wrestled with. You in this room have asked those same questions. Our culture is asking it. People in our community are asking that question. And my initial thought, and we talked about this in our staff meeting a few weeks ago when we were talking about Aaron Rodgers, is honestly, these aren't new questions. So, so if we relieve the pressure a little bit, if we, if we can think about this in terms of like we hear these questions and they create all kinds of anxiety for us, I think step one is recognizing that these aren't new questions. Okay? These questions have been asked. And interestingly enough, they've been answered. These are, not, these are not impossible questions for us to wrestle with. And as I listened to Rhett and Link's spiritual deconstruction podcasts, Ultimately, at the end, what it really came down to, and they didn't quite put it as what, the way that I'm going to put it, but this, is, but this is what they were saying. They just didn't like the answers they got. So when we think about some of the questions that people have about Christianity, some of the questions that people have about the Bible, in some instances it really comes down to they just didn't like the answers they got. And I could hear as, as they were talking... That's what they were saying. 
Like I had this question and I had someone talk to me because oftentimes one of the things we hear in the church is I have questions and I asked them and there was no one that would answer them. Have any of you ever heard that? I had questions and no one was answering my question. What was interesting is that wasn't what they were saying. What they were saying was, I have questions, I'm asking these questions, and people are telling me these answers, and I just don't like them. I just don't like what I'm hearing. So, so they left. And especially, I think this was the second Link's deconstruction podcast, he said something like, if I don't, if I don't want to believe that God would send billions of people who've never heard from him to an eternity of hell. This is what he said. If I don't want to believe that, well then, I just won't. Why would I? And that got me, as I was thinking, and I also listened to Mike's message last week. And Mike referred to the book of Judges in the Old Testament. And I wonder if you, in his message there was a phrase he said a few times, and I think it's four or five times in the book of Judges. I wonder if you remember the phrase. The phrase was this. It's actually the last verse in the book of Judges. It says this. The people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. The people did whatever seemed right in their own eyes. And as I'm thinking as I'm listening to, to Rhett and Link talk about their faith and, and reading this Aaron Rodgers article, um, and then I think about my own self, right? Because it's really easy, isn't it, to talk about Rhett and Link and Aaron Rodgers and everyone else out there. It's really easy for us to accuse other people of doing whatever they want. But here's, here's a reality. I know that I'm often like that, aren't you? I do whatever I think is right in my own eyes. And these are people that are guided by themselves. And in, in the book of Judges, they just didn't like what God told them to do. They didn't worship the way he told them to worship. They didn't treat one another the way that he told them to treat one another. And so they just, you know what? We just know better than you, God. We know what you really mean, God. So we just want to do whatever's right in our own eyes. And a few days later, I sent um, a text to John, because this has been on my mind. I said, John, I'm coming to the conclusion that the main reason people reject God is that they would rather be a God than submit to one. I'm coming to the conclusion that the main reason people reject God is they would rather be a God than submit to one. Isn't that what it means to do whatever is right in our own eyes? Let's read 1 Timothy 4 together. I'm going to pray before we do that. God, we want to we see and experience your word as true today. We want to hear you speak to us. Amen. 
Now, the Holy Spirit tells us clearly that in the last times, some will turn away from the true faith. They'll follow deceptive spirits and teachings that come from demons. These people are hypocrites and liars, and their consciences are dead. They'll say it's wrong to be married and wrong to eat certain foods. But God created these foods to be eaten with thanks by faithful people who know the truth. Since everything God created is good, we should not reject any of it, but receive it with thanks. For we know it is made acceptable by the word of God and prayer. If you explain these things to the brothers and sisters, Timothy, you will be a worthy servant of Christ Jesus, one who is nourished by the message of faith and the good teaching you have followed. Don't waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better, promising benefits in this life and in the life to come. This is a trustworthy saying, and everyone should accept it. This is why we work hard and continue to struggle, for our hope is in the living God, who is the Savior of all people and particularly of all believers. Teach these things and insist that everyone learn them. Don't let anyone think less of you because you are young. Be an example to all the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in your love, in your faith, in your purity. Until I get there, focus on reading the scriptures to the church, encouraging the believers and teaching them. Do not neglect the spiritual gift you've received through the prophecy spoken over you when the elders of the church laid their hands on you. Give your... Complete attention to these matters. Throw yourself into your tasks so that everyone will see your progress. Keep a close watch on how you live and on your teaching. Stay true to what is right for the sake of your own salvation and the salvation of those who hear you. A couple things I want you to see from the text. I want you to notice how the false teachers, um, these particular false teachers in Ephesus are now revealing themselves. We've said this over the past few weeks. They're adding to the Scripture. So one way that we might recognize false teachers is the way that they add to the Scripture. And what they're saying is, it's wrong to marry, and you shouldn't eat certain kinds of foods. And and what Paul's saying here, what his argument is, is when they do that, they're rejecting what God has plainly given them for their own good because what he provides is sufficient. Now, I want you to start making a connection between what Paul is telling Timothy here to do about something that's been given by God and they want to reject it, they want to add to it, I want you to make a connection to what's given to us by God, not in terms of food or drink, but of spiritual things and how we might reject them, right? Because we don't want it, we don't like it. What, what these false teachers essentially are doing is saying, what God says about marriage, what God says about food, I don't like that, so you shouldn't get married. And you shouldn't eat these kinds of food. I want you to see this connection. And the reality of it is, as we, as Christians, we also have a tendency to add to God's regulations and laws too, don't we? Don't go see any rated R movies. Don't listen to that kind of music. Don't wear those kind of clothes to church. Do you see how we start to add to what God says? 
And this is just for free. I don't have it in my notes. This is why my sermons go 50 minutes. But it's interesting to think about clothes. Like I remember growing up in the South, people always talked about putting on your best clothes, right? You want to wear your church clothes. You want to wear your best for God. And strangely enough, and we talked about this a few weeks ago in Ephesians chapter 2, what what does Paul tell Timothy to tell the women about their clothing? Modesty. Don't dress up. So you can play with that one on your own. See, what Paul is telling Timothy here is that, is that God's word is sufficient. What God says about leadership, what God says about the church, what God says about how we are to be as Christians, like, like that's enough. And, and we don't need to add anything to it. It's not that there aren't some good principles to think about, right? And Paul talks about this elsewhere. Like, I have freedom in all things, but not everything that I can do, I should do. Someday we'll talk about Romans, and that'll take about four years for us to get through. (laughs) Right? So Paul talks about that. I shouldn't do, just because I can do something doesn't mean I should do something. But God's, God's plan is sufficient. His grace is enough. And I think I think God's grace can really be bothersome for some of us. Not when it's applied to us, of course. But God's grace can really be bothersome when it's applied to other people, can it? When we see how God treats people who aren't like us and just forgives them for their sin? God, like, don't some of us in our minds, like, we want to... We want to send an email to God, God at God.com. I don't know if you knew what this person was doing, but you might want to check it out before you give them forgiveness. See, God's, God's grace is sufficient for us. His grace is enough. And I think what some of us feel the need to do is to add to it because we don't want it to be that simple. And what Paul's doing here is he's pressing in on these false teachers and he's pressing in on us. And sometimes the word is bothersome, isn't it? When we read the Bible, aren't there times where we're bothered by it? Aren't there, especially, like, so we're going to press into some of Rhett and Link's and, and Aaron Rodgers' questions. Like, you read the Old Testament and, like, yeah. Why would God send his people into the promised land and tell them to kill everyone? Like that, that's a legitimate question. And what, what have I told you to do over the past few months? Every time we, 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 get, a, we get a text like that or we read scripture like that, what have, I, what have I told you? I've told you to press in. Right? Ask some questions. Demonstrate some curiosity. One of the craziest things about the culture that we live in is, like, I can, I can think of a song lyric and have no idea what, what it's from, but it, like, gets in your head. And so... I don't know what you do. What I do is I pull up my phone and I go to Google and I type in that song lyric and in about 
0.05 seconds, I have the name of that song. In fact, we did that this morning. We were, um, myself and Shane and Mike, we were in the lobby. Um, I called today's message, Losing My Religion. In case, like, if you haven't figured it out, I use song titles for my sermons, okay? So Losing My Religion is a song from, from this band called R.E.M. And we were having this, like, this conversation like, when did that song come out? Oh, guess what? I can find out, right? See, we have this, we have this thing in our culture, in our society, where, where curiosity, our curiosity ends right here. Our curiosity ends with, the, with my ability to access this quick information. And here's the thing about God's Word. It's not Google. God's Word isn't, isn't a Wikipedia article. Because God's Word says lots of things in lots of places. And, and that requires a level of curiosity on our part. That requires for us to do some digging on our part. And you don't have to go to Bible college in order to do this. This is actually one of the things we subtly teach in our small groups. That's why, that's why we write the questions that we write. That's why we engage in the kinds of conversations that we do. Because what we're doing is we're subtly teaching you how to have curiosity about God's Word. So that you can dig in and you can learn and one of the things that, that I recommend is you get yourself a good study Bible. One that has text notes, one that has footnotes, one that has cross-references. Like there are so many instances. If I, were, if we, if I just look in 1 Timothy chapter 3 as a for instance. There, there, are, there are texts where Paul quotes Old Testament books. What would it be like if when you were reading your Bible and you saw that was one of those cross-references, if you put your little bookmark in your Bible and you flipped back and read the Old Testament reference to see what Paul was really talking about? Like, I do that with song lyrics. I do that with movie titles. Don't we owe God's Word that level of curiosity? And that level of engagement. So we research and we study. And there are going to be times where we're going to find an answer that we're not going to like. So, so what do we do? What do we do when we find an answer that we don't like? Well, the Bible says this. Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts for it has the power to save your soul. That is such a convicting verse for me. Because when I want to live my life however I want to, like when I, when, I feel that, when I feel that tension starting in my own life, and I want to do what I want to do, but I know God wants me to do something else, like what do I do? Humbly accept the word God has planted in your hearts, for it is the power to save your soul. That's a powerful verse that's in James James 1. I'm terrible with references, but I think it's verse 21. 
such a powerful verse to humbly accept what God is telling us to do because it has the power to save you. Because remember, this is the real deal. James is not just using that language, save, because he thought it would be a good metaphor for life. What he's saying is that God's word has the ability to save us. See, we're in the midst of a real battle. We're, we're in a fight. This isn't, this isn't about our preference. This isn't a matter of like or dislike. This isn't about what kind of French fries we want to eat. This isn't about which hamburger is the best kind of hamburger. This is, this is a real fight. This is a real battle. Paul is saying that we are in the end times and there are going to be people who walk away. There, I love you a lot. There are people in this room, like, you know this is about us. There are people in this room who, who right now are feeling this tension. Like, I'm reading God's Word and I don't like what it has to say about my life. And there are going to be people who are going to reject the faith and they're going to follow deceptive spirits. And that is, that is bone-crushing to me, personally. Paul uses some really interesting metaphors here. He, he tells Timothy to be a worthy servant of Jesus, nourishing on the message of faith and the good teaching he's followed. Well, how many of you have heard the phrase, you are what you eat? Good, lots of people. You know, that's true. If you fill your body with junk food and fake processed food, which is most of what we eat, if you fill your body with junk food, your stomach, this is like really interesting about food, your stomach is going to be full. But eventually, if you do that long enough, you're just going to feel like junk. You're going to feel like garbage. You are what you eat. And see, this is true spiritually for us. See, this is, this is an opportunity for us to ask ourselves when we read a text like this, this is an opportunity for us to ask ourselves, what, what am I eating spiritually? What am I consuming? Is it, is it junk spirituality? Which is most of what you're going to find on Facebook, by the way. What am I eating spiritually? Is it junk? Is it filling me up? How often are you eating spiritually? I want you to imagine for a moment that you wake up on a Sunday morning and, and you, eat, you eat breakfast and you don't eat a single thing until the next Sunday. Let's say you were to do that at 10.15 on a Sunday morning. And you didn't eat anything all week long. But at 10.15, you were ready to eat again. Would that be enough? Would that be enough for you to sustain you? 
See, when you do that, you'd probably be bloated when you're, when you're done because you would eat a lot of food, right? And you'd feel sick to your stomach because your body's not designed to function that way. Your body's not designed to have all of your weekly caloric intake in an hour and a half. Your body's not designed to have all of your daily caloric intake in a 20-minute meal during the day. That's not how your body works. We used to do this thing called 30-hour famine with, um, with our middle school and high school students. It was, a, it was connected to an organization called World Vision. And what they would encourage people to do as a fundraiser is to not eat food for 30 hours and raise money. So I would go to you and I would say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fundraise for, uh, for World Vision. I'm not going to eat anything. And I'm going to ask you to donate $20 if I make it all 30 hours without eating. So we would do that, and they would always tell our students, we would always tell our students, World Vision would always tell us, that at the end of that famine, when you eat, what you want to do is you want to eat something, that it, you want to eat slowly, and you want to eat food that is easy to digest. Because I know that some of you have 16-year-olds in your house. It's been a while since I've had a 16-year-old in my house, but I know what a 16-year-old can eat. And if, if you turn a whole bunch of 15 to 17-year-old kids loose after not eating for 30 hours and just say, like, go eat, you're going to be cleaning up vomit for the next five hours. Right? Eat slow. Eat something that's easy to digest. A few weeks ago, Mike described our family, children, and student ministries this way. They function best when they reinforce and support what you're doing at home with your families. Here's, here's what I know is true about our children and student ministries. That Mike and Joe and our other family leaders, they serve age-appropriate spiritual food throughout the course of the week whenever they gather with your children. And they are not serving them Jesus Skittles and Jesus Carbs. See, because light or hard, hard food like that that's hard to digest but has lots of sugar, that might help them feel good. So I'm talking about our children and student ministry right now, about why we do the things that we do in our children and student ministry. Where it's not just all about, hey, let's come to Westway Christian Church and for 90 minutes we're going to play um, Nine Square in the Air. That would be Jesus Skittles. Oh, and by the way, here's a 30-second devotional for you, to, for you to take home to your parents. When, when our children and students come here, we're going to feed them. And our Sunday time is similar. It's the exact same thing. I would love every single Sunday that when you walk out the door, that you feel encouraged and equipped and excited and ready. Like, like that's, what I, that's what I want for you. I would love for you to leave in that way. And equipped and ready means you're learning to feed yourself. One of the things we talked about in this leadership training that we went to yesterday was we just talked about like ages of development. And in the, in the human life cycle, there are only two stages of the human life cycle in which um, someone else feeds you. 
there's infancy, and then there's extreme old age. At every other point in that life cycle, you're not only feeding yourself, but you are feeding someone else. So what I would love, as much as I want you to feel encouraged and excited about what God's doing, I want you to leave here full. And at the same time, I want you to leave here still hungry. So you can go home and you can break open God's word or you can engage in a small group or in community and you can just continue to eat all week long. Because I know that that's how my body operates. Like when I, um, when I think about how I eat food, I eat food all day long. I eat food all week long. It would be murder for me to eat on Sunday morning and not eat again until the following Sunday. Like there's no way I could do that. And one of the interesting things about being full is sometimes full means uncomfortable. Have you ever eaten such a good meal, like you just want to just keep eating? You like push back from the table and you're like, oh, I feel awful. See, sometimes being spiritually full means being uncomfortable. There are going to be times where we talk about what God's word says, and it's going to make you uncomfortable. And Paul is completely okay with that. And I and Mike and Joe and Shane and our elders are completely okay. 100% okay with having God's word press on your soul so that you would be convicted and desire to grow in your relationship with God. And then what's interesting is the next metaphor that Paul uses. Notice he says he talks about food first, and there's a purpose for food. The next metaphor that he uses is training. See, you can't train properly unless you eat properly. I wonder if you've ever made that connection before in this text. There's a reason that there's an orderliness to it. Back in 2015, I took a group of high school students um, on a canoeing trip to northwest Arkansas. We paddled about 50 miles in four and a half days. Um, It was uh, northwest Arkansas in July is really hot. Um, It's really humid, and then especially on a river. And then, like, it rains on the river, and then all your stuff gets wet. And just, like, just when it did start to dry out from the time your canoe tipped over and got everything wet, and then it rains and it makes it all wet again. Like, we took these students on this canoeing trip, and I was having trouble with one of my, with one of my students in particular. Um, he, was, he was really unengaged in what we were trying to do, um, kind of lethargic. Like, when it was time to paddle, he wouldn't paddle very much. He, and then I noticed that he was rarely eating when it was time to eat. Except for one night, as we're, as we're sitting around this campfire on this sandbar, um, we had this big cooler. Um, it wasn't a Yeti, because I would have called it a Yeti. It was a cooler. Um, there's this big cooler on the side, and I noticed this student walks over to it, and he's reaching in, and he's putting something into his pocket. like He's doing this thing over and over again. And then I see, and they're little packets of Skittles. And I'm like, that's why he can't paddle. That's why 
He is lethargic. That's why he's unengaged. Because all he was feeding himself for the training was was junk food. How could he paddle? How could he labor? And I think that's why some of us, that's why some of us can't train in spiritual things. Because we eat spiritual garbage. And when it's time for us to work, and here's what I mean by work. When someone asks us a question about our faith, or when it's time to pray, or when it's time to read our Bibles, when the situations and circumstances and the hardships of reality come up, like when it's time to work, we are so full of Skittles and feel-good verses and nice little phrases that are like, let the bees buzz. Like, we're so filled with those kinds of little sayings that when it's time to work, like, you just can't work. Can't do it. We're utterly unequipped to do what God calls us to because we haven't eaten. And I love what Paul says about spiritual training. He says it has value for two things, for this life and then the life to come. And I love that Paul said that, that this spiritual training is valuable in two ways, in this life and in the life to come. Because I think that there are some Christians that have gotten themselves so focused on the life to come, like when the roll is called up yonder, I'll be there. Like we are so ready to jettison and abandon this earth that we completely neglect the fact that we have work to do here. They neglect relationships. See, in spiritual training is good for this life. We have a mission. And this is how Jesus defined it. He said, go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. And be sure of this, I'm with you always, even until the end of the age. That's called the Great Commission. It's in Matthew chapter 28. So Jesus knows the tendency of his disciples is to do nothing. Is to wait And this is proven if you flip over to the book of Acts, Acts chapter 1. When Jesus, before Jesus flies away into heaven, the disciples say, are you now going to return like us to our rightful place? Is your kingdom coming here? And he's like, that's not, I don't know, and that's not for you to know, and you have work to do, so go to Jerusalem. See? See? Their tendency is to wait. Our tendency is to wait. Our tendency is to be so focused on the world to come that we don't think about the people who don't know Jesus here. We can't fulfill Jesus' mission for us if all we're thinking about is getting out of here. And I don't mean here. I mean if all we're thinking about is jettisoning and abandoning earth. We will not fulfill what Jesus has for us. 
But then there are others who are so focused on this life that they neglect the future. And I think these are the kind of people that work, work so hard to adhere to the rules of Christianity, even adding to them, that they're so concerned about, am I going to get to heaven? Oh, I have to do every single thing right. And these are the people that live in their heads and second-guess every single decision. And I know that that's probably some of you. Am I a Christian? Am I, am I thinking right? Am I working hard enough? Am I doing all of these things? That's what it looks like for us to focus only on this place. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 19. If our hope in Christ is only for this life, we are to be more pitied than anyone in the world. See, we have a hope. We have work to do. There's spiritual training that's valuable not only for this life, but for the next. And in this text, God's telling us that our tendency is to reject what God has given us instead of receiving it with thankfulness. That's, what's, that's the bottom line for all of this. So our tendency is to reject God's goodness and add to it. So we want to ask ourselves some questions. What are we pursuing? How's your conscience? Are you receiving God's goodness with thankfulness? Or are we rejecting it? A few weeks ago when we went through chapter 1, we talked about the purpose of the law. I'm going to read just a few verses from chapter 1. Beginning at verse 8. For we know that the law is good when used correctly. For the law was not intended for people who do what is right. It's for people who are lawless and rebellious, who are ungodly and sinful, who consider nothing sacred and defile what is holy, who kill their father or mother or commit other murders. The law is for people who are sexually immoral, who practice homosexuality or are slave traders, liars, promise breakers, or do anything else that contradicts the wholesome teaching that comes from the glorious good news entrusted to me by our blessed God. And I wonder what it would be like for us if for a moment we could, we could step back and objectively look at this text and see that what a gift that God is giving us in telling us how to be obedient to him. How richly blessed we are that we have a God who tells us what loving him looks like. I wish you would I wish I would remember that that's a gift. Forget you guys. I wish I would see that as a gift. That God's law is meant to reveal to me what I need to take to him and receive not judgment and not anger, but mercy and grace from him. I wish that we could see that. James talks about it this way. He says, but if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. I think some of us will never be set free because we refuse to look carefully into God's perfect law. Some of us, some of us won't because we're completely sold on ourselves. Some of us reject God because we want to be God. I want you to know that there's a spiritual war being fought over you right now. Are we being nourished by the message of faith 
and good teaching, or are we slamming baggies of Skittles into our pockets and filling ourselves with them? How's our training? Are we working hard? Are we struggling? Is Jesus our actual Savior, or is he just our theoretical Savior? Do you just know enough about Jesus to be dangerous? See, that was my story. After high school, if you would have given me a list of all of the things that a Christian believed, I would have intellectually assented to every single one of them. Yep, virgin birth, check. God's son, check. Holy Spirit, check. Like I would have agreed with every single one of those, and I was not a follower of Christ. That was, that was me. Because Jesus was a theoretical Savior. Are we living the life that God has for us? We have to recognize the spiritual realities of the age in which we live, and we have to stay true. If we could go back 10 days to John and I sitting in my office. This is what I would say. So if we were just sitting in my office right now, This is serious. This auditorium, each and every Sunday, is World War III. There's a battle being waged for people and by people each and every week in this room. There are some people, maybe many people, who think I'm completely overstating this. Think I'm completely exaggerating what I'm saying. There are people in that room, John who've decided that God is going to let them into heaven because they are really good people. There are other people in that room that, that think that all of this is myth and superstition. Haven't we moved past the need for gods in the 21st century? John, there are some people who believe all of this intellectually, but they have no commitment. That didn't make me a Christian, and it doesn't make them one either. Some people here each and every week, they eat of the meal, they, they come here because they cling to some ridiculous notion that church is what good people do. And my heart breaks for each and every one of those people. My heart breaks for those who've heard and known the truth yet choose to walk away because they don't like what God has to say for them. My heart breaks for them when they deliberately shipwreck their faith. My heart breaks for them when they gaze into God's perfect law and they reject it because they value themselves over what God has for them. These are the people that I and our pastors and our elders absolutely lose sleep over every single night. It's their faces and their situations that wake me up at 3 a.m. And the only way I'm able to go back to sleep and the elders and our pastors are able to go back to sleep is to hope and pray that at some point in the near future, they will wake up and recognize the battle that they are facing. Because as much as I would love to to take on your faith for you and our pastors and our elders would love to take on your relationship with Jesus for you, we cannot do that. This is you. John, this is real. I wish that people understood the life that Jesus died to give them. 
and that freedom would be theirs if they would just get off of God's throne and allow Him to be God. Here's what I want you to do today. I want you to stop running from God. I want you to surrender to Him. I want you to ask questions when you have them. And when you don't like what you hear, I want you to press in. I want you to accept it. I want you to consider the reality that God knows better than you do. I want you to know that the reason that some of you are immeasurably satisfied in your life, unsatisfied in your life, is because you are pursuing anything and everything but God. I want you to know these things because I'm not going to neglect the spiritual gift that was given to me. I'm telling you these things because you, your spiritual life, deserves my full attention. I'm telling you these things because if all we do is give you spiritual skittles, we jeopardize your salvation and ours. I'm telling you this because there's an enemy that is prowling around waiting to devour you. And that enemy is going to take whoever he can get. And I want you to have the faith and the hope and the trust in Christ that that's not going to be you. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love for us and telling us who you are and what you love and why you love. God, I pray that we would recognize that, that this is real. That we would take this seriously. We would live as though our lives depend on it because according to your word, it does. And it's in your sons and we pray. Amen.